0: Well, I just want to read to you from uh, Joel, the prophet Joel, chapter 2. might not be a very well-known book to you, um, but I want to read from verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Prophet Joel lived and prophesied before Christ, we think somewhere between 800 and 500 BC. And it was at a time when the Holy Spirit was only ever given to leaders and prophets and uh, people with a specific role or mission in God's people to play. And Joel spoke at that time looking forward to the church age when the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. That's what he was talking about here. That age began with Christ and it's where we live now. In other words, we are privileged people to live in this time when the Spirit is poured out on all flesh. See, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, young or old, how educated you are, where you live, what you're good at or not good at, or how likely you think it is that God might use you. If you're flesh and you're sat here today in Christ, then he will use you and you get to be part of this great outpouring. This is God's plan for us, that we would be supernatural people given power by the Holy Spirit, living lives where the supernatural power of God is displayed. It says, your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams. That means everybody gets to be part of God's England squad, God's football team. But there's one force, particularly that can end it all before it starts, and that's apathy. If we can have that slide. Because apathy will take us out of the game before it even begins. And it won't cripple us, you know, so that we want to play but we can't because we've got an injury. Worse, it will convince us to walk out of the stadium of our own accord, our own choice. So what do we mean by apathy? What does it actually mean? Well, Cambridge English Dictionary defines it this way and it says, it's behaviour that shows no interest or energy and shows that someone is unwilling to take action, especially over something important behavior that shows no interest or energy and shows someone's unwilling to take action, especially over something important. So that's what we're focusing on today. That's what we're looking at. And how can apathy arise? Well, I think it can arise because we've lost sight of the truth. We've lost our focus. We've taken our eyes off the goal. So I want to introduce you to somebody today. His name is Bob. This is Bob. Say hi, hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. And we're going to look at the three areas of church life. We're going to look at his presence, our community, and their hope, and an example of where Bob has got some apathy issues, okay? And we're going to take one example from each of those areas. There could be, we could have looked at any examples, but hopefully these particular examples will enable us to sort of switch on to how to spot apathy and that kind of thing, so that we can take what we learn in this example and apply it to any situation and any example, Okay. Um, I have to add a caveat at this point that some of Bob's attitudes have actually been mine. God has been calling me up on some things, particularly whilst I've been preparing this preach. You sit down to put notes together and suddenly realize, oh, hang on a minute, this is actually hitting pretty close to home. You're talking to me, aren't you, Holy Spirit? Oh, dear. Okay. So I want to say that if anything we talk about today and look at today makes you squirm a bit, know that I squirmed too. I probably squirmed first. So you're not going to be alone in the squirming. We're going to all embrace it and squirm together. (laughs) But you know, like when the Holy Spirit makes us squirm, as I say, it's to lead us on through it into freedom. So it's worth just kind of letting that moment happen and then dealing with it and responding and moving forward with him. So let's all be agreed. We're going to squirm together. All right. So the first area we're going to look at today is our community. So if we can have the slide, thank you very much. I want us to look at serving in church, so maybe that's turning up early on a Sunday to help with setup, maybe it's serving teas and coffees after the meeting, maybe it's packing down, putting things away, maybe it's getting involved with a particular area of church life and serving it, so it could be the welcome team, the worship team, the PA team, prayer ministry, kids, uh, anything like that, and... It could be maybe helping out at church events like turning up to a barn dance early to stick wagon wheels on the wall or cardboard cutouts of cactuses or whatever or bringing plates and stuff across from the offices. It could be helping at an outreach event in the town centre, getting involved with a stall or something like that and talking to people. Maybe you can identify with some of Bob's thoughts and attitudes. If We have that slide up. Uh, I don't know what the line is at the top there. That wasn't there earlier. It's supposed to be a thought bubble. You can probably get the gist. Um, so his, his, his thoughts are potentially, oh, I can't be bothered to help set up a church today. Oh, why should I have to be inconvenienced? Do you know, I've got, I've got more important things to worry about, to be honest. I mean, you can tell he's got more important things to worry about. Maybe he's watching Netflix or something. I don't know. <laughs> so what I want us to do is to look at these, these apathies, these uh, attitudes... And to look at what the Bible says in response. Remember, we've taken our eyes off the truth, off the goal. So what is the goal? What is the truth? First of all, 1 Peter 4, verse 10. Feel free to write the references down as you go if you want to come back to them. It says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. It says, each of us has received a gift, we will have something unique to contribute. Something that nobody else brings to the table. And it says, use it to serve one another and be good stewards of God's grace. See, God has given us these gifts of grace. And you see, without any one gift, the whole is lacking. If I don't bring what is unique about me to the table, then we're all the poorer for it. It's like the football team without a player or a body without a limb trying to go through life. It might stagger on and keep going, but it's missing something. It's lacking. It's lacking. Colossians three, twenty-three to 24, whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. See, when we're serving, Bob has lost sight of the fact that we're really serving the Lord. It says, work heartily as for the Lord. He sees everything we do and he's eager to reward us for it. He's watching everything and going, come on, yes, give me that opportunity to be able to bless you, to be able to reward you. I love it when you get stuck in and when you serve, when you care about the things that I care about. That should be our perspective, that we have the honour of serving Christ himself. A slight aside from this, but in our thinking, do we like, realise the position that we now occupy? See, by grace, we're seated with Christ himself. We are sat and established next to God himself, God Almighty. We are hugely significant. We are a child of the Most High. We are a privileged people, as I said earlier. And you see, Jesus' disciples began to realise this in their journey with Jesus. as They walked along with him and saw the things that he did. They were on the front lines as Jesus was healing this guy. They were the guys who stood around him. They were the ones people would recognise. Oh, look, that's one of the guys that's with Jesus. Maybe Jesus is with them. They were well-known. And they began to think a bit proudly of themselves. Jesus sent them out. He said, here's power. Here's authority. Go into the towns I'm about to hit and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers and cast demons out and tell them the kingdom of God is at hand. And they'd been involved in this amazing work. Then they came back. They'd seen these amazing things. They came back to tell Jesus all about it. And they were having an argument about which one of them was the greatest, which one was better than the rest. Well, do you know what, guys? I got this one. I'm the best. I saw six blind people healed. Yeah, top that. Yeah, well, I saw seven lepers here top that. Well, I preached to a hundred people. They were boasting to each other. But interestingly, the way Jesus responds to that is he, he doesn't tell them off for being arrogant little so-and-sos, as I might have done. Interestingly, he just redefines what greatness should look like for them. Because he says to them, uh, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must serve the others like a servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to serve, uh, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Because what he's saying there is that actually true greatness is realizing your elevated position positions you to help others. When God raises us up and blesses us, yes, it's for us to enjoy the blessing and to benefit from it, but He also intends that it be a benefit to others. It's like when you fill a cup and it overflows in one of them stacks of like champagne glasses. You ever see that at a wedding? I would love to see that one day. They pour from the top and they keep pouring, and the top one overflows. And yes, it's full, having a great time full of champagne, but now it's overflowing, bubbling down the whole period, and every glass gets to be filled that's God's picture that when he blesses you you get blessed but it overflows to the world around you that means you are so significant you are so significant and because we're all God's children so is the person next to you so that should also inform us on our serving not only do we have the honour of serving Christ himself but the honour of serving God's fellow children our brothers and sisters so you see serving is an honour the last verse Mark 12 verse 31 love your neighbours as yourself Jesus said this is the second greatest commandment that there is for us to obey lastly we serve because it's a command from God and he asks us to he tells us that it's right to do this and it's right to obey him so when it comes to serving we see that Bob has missed the fact that serving in church is a privilege it's not a obligation, a burden, a heavy thing, it's a a joy, a privilege, it's my honour to serve you because of who you are. You are Christ's, just as I am. And actually, I'm the one that loses out if I don't get stuck in, if I don't roll my sleeves up and join in and and help the team to push. I'm the one that loses out because I lose out on that reward that God so wants to bless me with. So we've got a series of challenges today and the first challenge for Bob and for us is this. If you think you're too good to serve, change your heart because it's too good of an opportunity not to serve. If you think you're too good to serve, change your heart. It's too good of an opportunity not to serve. Let's look at the next area. their hope. You all still with me? We're still alive? We're still tracking? Great. So when it comes to evangelism, maybe it's... Sorry, did I explain that? Their hope, we're looking at evangelism and getting involved with evangelism. So that could be maybe uh, in your everyday life, your work, your university, your whatever you do, your volunteering, your friends, telling people that you're part of a church and opening your life up a bit and explaining about what that means, what that looks like in your life. Maybe it's sharing what God has done in your life, witnessing how he's helped you, how he's helped you overcome burdens, how he's provided for you. Maybe it's actually sharing the good news, the gospel message himself about Christ dying on the cross for us to pay the penalty for the forgiveness of our sins and being raised to life, that we'd be raised with him. So let's have a look at some of Bob's attitudes in in any of those areas. He might be thinking, well, if God wants to save them, he'll do it himself. It doesn't really matter if I'm involved. I don't think they'd listen anyway or be interested even, so why bother? Do you know what? I've got more important things to focus on in my life. I don't know if you feel like any of those have crossed your mind at any point. But let's look at what Scripture has to say in response. Matthew 28, 19-20. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. This is the Great Commission. It does matter if we get involved. Because again, it's a command from God. He told us to get on with the job of making disciples. He left us with that responsibility. It's why we're still on the earth. you ever think about that? If God was so uh, intentional about saving us and getting us into heaven, why didn't he just click his fingers as soon as we believed and take us straight there? It's because he's got a purpose for us being here right now, in this very moment, in this life that we're living. He has purpose and plan for it. Because he wants us to be disciples who make disciples. He wants us to join him on his mission of redemption. Going back to Joel 2 again, 28 to 29. I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. Jesus comments on it again in John, John 14, 26. He says, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. See, it's actually okay for Bob to feel a bit out of his depth in this because this commission is greater than his own ability. And that's kind of the point. We've been given the Holy Spirit as a helper to teach us and to lead us in how we do this, so that we're not on our own. We have a a helper that stands with us. And it says also, it goes on to say in John 16, and when he comes, he he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sometimes we might feel out of our depth in that I can't convince these people to be interested in this. It's not our job. It says he will convict the world. The Holy Spirit's presence convicts the world. We can't change people's hearts, so they'll listen. But it's not our job. It's the Holy Spirit's. See, he's the helper that we needed. He's the wisdom. He's the leading, the teaching. But he's also the power that comes in and works in their hearts for us because we can't do it. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12 to 15. Now, he's talking here, uh, when he says the foundation, he's speaking about the gospel message about the cross that we first received and believed in. So he says, now, if anyone builds on that foundation, if anyone lives their lives based on that fact, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, Or maybe wood, hay, or straw. Each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. So it's talking about the way you live your life in response to the gospel. You can live it well by building a house that's going to stand, maybe built with precious stones or gold or silver. Or you can build it with things that would burn up wood, hay, straw. In other words, attitudes that aren't based on a love for God and aren't based on a willingness to get on board with his mission, but actually are self-centered and self-focused. You can build in two different ways, but that day, that, that day when we stand before the Lord, the fire will test what sort of work we've done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, if it was good motivations, we'll receive a reward for it. But if anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. It says, though he himself will be saved, but only as though through fire. What it's saying is if you spend your life focused in on yourself with your own self-motivations, when you come to give your account before the Lord, he'll have nothing to bless, nothing to reward you for. Because he'll look at your life and go, well, no, that was junk. That was junk. That wasn't for me. No, none of that. What's left? And you'll stand there as if you've escaped from a burning building with nothing to your name. It's a serious thing what we do with our time, what we do with our lives Because we're going to get a reward for it if we build well with him at the focus. But if our focus is on us, what do we gain from it? Absolutely nothing. He himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Matthew 5, 14-16. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people put a lamp In a room under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Imagine a a lamp. You got this beautiful lamp. You just went out to John Lewis. You bought a beautiful lamp. You're so proud of it. You pop it on a stand, you switch it on. Look how it lights the room up. Look at the beautiful orangey yellow glow. Love that. Right, where's the washing basket? Straight over the top. Boom. Pitch black again. Who does that? That's the picture he's painting here. But he says, no, take the basket off. Let your light so shine out. Let the way that you live your life, let the good things you do, the wisdom that impacts the decisions you make in life and how you plan and how you get on with things, let that so shine before people. Don't hide your life. Be open about it so they can see that. And the response will be, there has to be a God. There has to be a God. Because look at this person I know. They're living in such a dynamic, different way that there couldn't be anything other than a supernatural force behind it. That's what he's saying here. Let your light so shine before men they would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We've got to live the kind of lives that people will find attractive. See, when it comes to evangelism, it's a joy. And again, it's a privilege. Our lives are so significant that every moment counts. Every moment matters. Remember that we have the Holy Spirit as our helper. We're not alone in this. He fills in the gap that we can't do. For Bob, it means that it's not his ability. It's his attitude. Remember that. It's not your ability. It's your attitude. Where does your heart lie? There'll be plenty of people who enter the kingdom of God as if they've escaped from a burning building. Don't be among them. Don't be one of them. That's the challenge number two for us from this section. Don't be one of them. Be the one who lives their lives for the reward that God gives. Okay, let's look at the last area, his presence. So if we could have a, the slide up, thank you very much. Um, I want to look at giving ourselves fully to God in praise and worship. Now, worship is about the whole of our lives. I mean, we've just been talking about that. It's about everything, every aspect. But when we think about his presence, I want to think about actively engaging with his presence. And that's the coming in 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 praise, in celebration, in worship, uh, and in honesty. So that's why I've zeroed in on it. Uh, Let's look again at at Bob's heart attitudes in this. Maybe it's, I don't really feel like praising God today. Maybe it's, I'm not really in the mood to celebrate or, I don't like dancing, jumping, shouting, or clapping. I'm, I'm not a very expressive person, so I'm just going to worship in my heart. He might feel that way when it comes to, now this is nothing personal directed at the guys today, maybe the song choice of the worship leader. Maybe the genre of songs. Maybe it's another genre that you, you like. Maybe it's the style of the song. It's too loud, it's too quiet. There's not enough this or too much that. Maybe it's to do with our mood. We're not really feeling the mood. Maybe it's our circumstances. Maybe we're going through a tough time and that's impacting us. Maybe we're facing hardship. Maybe we're tired. Maybe we're too hot. Let's have a look at what the Bible says. Philippians 4 verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul tells the Philippians to rejoice. What does that mean? They have a choice to rejoice. It was within their power to choose it. Or he w- it would be unfair of him to say, Come on, rejoice. Well, we have no ability, so we can't, so why are you shouting at us? 1 Thessalonians 5 16 to 19. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Rejoice always and pray without ce- ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. It can actually be a rock in the heart not to rejoice in God in all circumstances. Because that last line says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. That's a difficult one to swallow, isn't it? I, don't, I feel down. I'm going through the ringer right now, God. But you're telling me to be happy and to rejoice? I don't understand that. It says actually if you refuse to choose joy, it can be a rock in the heart. It can quench the working of the Holy Spirit that he wants to achieve through your life. Mark 12, 29 to 30. The most important command is this. We heard the second greatest. This is the first greatest. There is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Love God with all of you. Yes, love him in your heart and make melody with your hearts to him. But our bodies have to get involved too. For us to obey the command to love him with everything, our expressions of love have got to reach the outside. Now, as we were praying in the, the prayer meeting this morning, Sam said something that I picked up on, which was that he's never not feeling it. He never comes to us and just says, ah, you know what, like, can we just take a rain check on hanging out today? Or can we take a rain check on you getting the blessing you need? Because I'm not really feeling it today. There's never a day. There won't be a day that you're not by my side. There won't be a day that you let me fall. There won't be a day that he comes up to us and says, oh, I can't really be bothered today to be honest. Because he's so for us. He's so intentional about his love for us. It never leaves. It never departs. It never lacks. I was listening to a talk a few weeks ago by Phil Wilthew. probably familiar with him from Catalyst Festival, Elder at King's Arms. And he was talking about the purpose for our life. And he was saying how the purpose of our lives is actually this verse. It's, To love God with everything, but it's it's to be a worshipper, he was saying. And he says this. You see, there's something, when he's talking about expressiveness in worship, there's something about your love for Jesus in here, being expressed in your body that's both appropriate and freeing. He goes on to say, I'm not sure the Bible lets us get away with just being worshippers in our hearts. Because the Bible, when it describes God worshippers, it says they clap their hands, and they shout aloud, and they sing new songs, and they dance, and they kneel, and they prophesy, and they pray. They worship him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything, all I am, all in for you. Because that's the way he looks at us. He is all in for us. And I want to tell you about my journey on that. As a teenager, I used to really struggle with kind of involving my body and that kind of thing, you know. Um, I'd be at uh, Soul Survivor, the conference, the festival, run by Soul Survivor Church in Watford. You'd have thousands of young people gathered together in these massive tents, a bit like Catalyst, but with a tent. So there was a bit more uncertainty when it rained. And uh, everyone around me, they'd be playing the jumpy about songs, maybe they'd be playing the worshipful songs, and I would enjoy them a bit more, because I could just sort of stand there and sort of like, yeah, yeah, that's good. But then they'd come the jumpy one, and I'd be sort of like, yeah... Okay. Yeah. And there was one night that I would always dread at these things, which was the last night, which was the praise party. I really didn't like the praise party, because that meant that I was going to be the only one out of 4,000-odd young people who wasn't pogoing or going a bit nuts and waving their hands about, and I felt so self-conscious. And I'd think to myself, well, these people may worship with jumping, clapping, or raising hands, but I don't need to, because I know I'm worshipping in my heart. But I didn't realise it, but actually what I was saying to God was... I'm happy to praise you with the bits that no one can see but I don't want to surrender the bits that people can see. And I began to challenge myself, I began to step outside my comfort zone. I remember one time at a youth trip to Spring Harvest, which is again very similar but this time it's at uh, the Butlins I think, some of you guys not you've been there? <laughs> and came to the last night, came to the praise party, my usual feelings of oh no this again, kind of was sort of stepping in. And they began to play this song. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's by a very small, uh, not very well-known group called Sister Sledge. And it's We Are Family. They began to play this in the middle of the worship time. Just a way of joining us all together, saying, yes, we are family. And you know what? I I said to myself something then. I said, God, I hate this music. I hate dancing. But you are worth it. You're the only one that means enough to me. To do this for? And maybe I just step from side to side or something. I mean, I can't dance. I, I don't really enjoy dancing because I just feel awkward. Like, my hand doesn't know what the other hand's going to do, so they collide all over the place. My legs don't know what they're doing. It's like one of them trying to go over here while this one's trying to moonwalk or something. It just doesn't work out. But you know what? For him, can I embrace that? Is he the thing that's worth enough to me to be able to do that? And I'll be honest, I'm still on a journey with this. I still battle fear and apathy. But as time goes on, the question that stayed in my heart has been, how much do you love God? Are you going to love him with all your strength? I mean, yeah, your heart may be in a great place, but are you going to love him with all your strength? And through this journey, I have believed that I have a responsibility to let God deal with those heart issues so I can be obedient to him and be free in him like he wants me to be it's a good journey to go on so I've got a couple of practical tips actually that might help us to grow in this so like we saw Paul teaching the Philippians in 4 verse 4 it's a choice to rejoice so challenge yourself to be a bit more expressive each time maybe for you it's like where I started it was actually just kind of raising your hands up maybe it's putting one hand in the air putting two hands in the air do use deodorant if you're going to go for that one All right. Maybe it's having a bit of a jump. Maybe it's kind of a little bit of a sidestep. I don't know what it is for you, but if you get comfortable with one thing, start trying something else. Start trying to be a bit more expressive. I want to tell you, lead yourself in worship. Did you know you can do that? Did you know you could be the worship leader of your own heart? You can do for your heart what a worship leader does from here. You can lead yourself in worship. You can stir yourself. You can use the lyrics and the music and they can become a launching pad for your own heart. So as we're singing, spirit break out. Maybe I'm coming with, yes, God. Between the words, I'm singing, yes, spirit break out, God. Break our walls down. Yes, God, break my walls down. Come into my heart and break my walls down. Spirit break out. Yes, Lord, come. Do what you need to do in me. See, I'm using the lyrics and I'm making them my own, but I'm also extending them and using them as a platform, a launching pad. That's how you can lead yourself in worship. If you're singing a song that just says, do we love that? Oh, I feel like dancing. It's foolishness, I know. And when the world has seen the light, they'll dance with joy like we're dancing now. I could sing of your love forever. We've all been in that moment. That kind of awkward feeling. But you know what? Like, in that moment, you don't have to dance, but in that moment, you could dance if you wanted to. We can take ownership of those moments that say, God, I'm going to sing, sing, sing. I'm going to shout, shout, shout and praise the Lord. All right, I'm going to shout. Yeah, God, we love you. You can take ownership of your own heart. Take ownership of the words, of the music, and use them to feel the expression of your heart. Also, I'd encourage you, keep growing in your relationship with God. I've found this in my own life. If you find that your worship is a bit lukewarm, it's possibly because you're not pressing in for deeper revelations of the glory of God. If your worship is a bit lukewarm, it's possible you're not pressing in deep enough for revelations of the glory of God. Press on in reading the Bible. Soak in it. It could just be a verse a day, but just get it in you. Read it. Find things that you're interested in and read around them. Read a bit more. Pray. Spend time on your own in prayer when no one's leading you into doing it, you've led yourself there. Take charge of your own soul. It could be in music and praise. If you play an instrument, play in your own room somewhere and just worship God on it. No matter your ability, you can be fumbling with the chords, but still singing. But you know what? Two bits of Lego, God. Here's my two bits and I just love you all the same. Maybe you put on a worship CD or something. Maybe in that moment you're there and there's nobody else around you and you start a little bit of a Okay, I feel so awkward right now, God, but I love you, so I'm just going to try dancing. Uh, Maybe you get the Mr. Bean dance going on, you never see him kind of doing his thing. Maybe you take uh, charge of yourself in that moment to, to express yourself when nobody else is around, so you've got a bit more confidence in it when you come to be with everybody else. Who knows? But I promise you, it will help you to grow. All right, let's keep things moving. The next verse, Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, spiritual worship involves all of us, every part, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It is a sacrifice to kind of challenge ourselves in this. But Christ died as much for our bodies as anything else. So in summary from this one, we know that worshipping God is a privilege, We are privileged people. We're commanded to praise and to worship with our whole lives. And as part of that, we're told to sing and dance and shout and clap and play music because it frees us up and liberates our spirits. And once again, sometimes we need to make the choice to rejoice. So we come to our third challenge to us and to Bob. How much are we willing to surrender to him? Just the inside bits, which don't cost us as much, or the outside bits too? So those are our three areas of church life we've looked at. And we've had a look at these different examples. We've seen how Bob's apathy could have arisen because he's lost sight of the truth. And we've seen what the Bible has to say about us and how we live, that we get to be part of God's outpouring of his Holy Spirit and that we're privileged people. And that what we contribute to things matters. What I bring to the table really does matter. That God wants us to grow and flourish and be free and be a vital member of his football team. So if we could have the challenges to Bob up on the screen already. You've read my mind. Fantastic. I love it when that plan comes together. Number one, we've seen the challenges. If you think you're too good to serve, it's too good of an opportunity not to serve. Number two, don't be caught out by the fire. Be the one who lives for God's reward. Build well. Number three, are we willing to surrender? Not just the inside bits which don't cost us as much or the outside bits too. But what is actually at the heart of Bob's apathy? I mean, under everything else, actually apathy is a choice. Remember I said at the start that this is the the kicker and that it won't disable us so we can't play even though we wanted to. It convinces us to turn around and just walk out the stadium of our own accord. See, actually apathy says to God, I'm going to value what's important to me, but I don't really care about what's important to you. It's self-focused. It's the decision to put myself first it's self-centred. And honestly, this is what God was calling me up on as I was putting this preach together. He was showing me areas where I was on the throne and he wasn't. Areas where I was being self-focused, self-centred, putting what I wanted to do first and not him. And I'll be honest, like it, wasn't, it didn't feel peaceful. It didn't feel like I was whole. It felt fragmented and uncomfortable. And it took him kind of actually just revealing that to me that I was doing that, for me to then go, oh, okay, I'm squirming a bit. Okay, I'm sorry, i repent. And when I did that, just freedom came, peace came, just settled deep down in me again, and I knew that I was doing okay. Maybe there was a, another cause for Bob's apathy. Um, sometimes apathy can set in if we fall into sin, but don't respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. By ignoring him, we're saying no to him and so naturally we stop caring about the things he cares about and start turning in on ourselves. Again, it leads to self-centeredness. Maybe that's you today. Or maybe, like Bob, you're apathetic about getting involved in church life, about serving. Maybe you don't really care about the lost. Maybe you're holding back and giving all of yourself to God, including your body. I feel like God has a response to us today, and he says, I love you, and I'm not angry with you. I want you to succeed. I want you to be filled with joy. Proverbs 10.22 says, the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. See, when God pours out blessing, he doesn't add sorrow with it. He doesn't want us to be sorrowful people. He also wants to say to us today, I want you to be blessed and for your sorrow to turn to joy because you're my child whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. Now I want us to take some time to do a bit of business with God. So I'd love the the band to to come up again if they would. They're just going to play quietly. And as they do, let's take the opportunity to Dial down for a second and just listen to the Holy Spirit. Maybe he's speaking to you already. What is he saying to you today? Have a think about what response you need to make. I mean, David, when he spoke, encouraged us, what do you need to do? Do you need to lift your hands out? Do you need to kneel? Do you need to stand? What do you need to do? Well, again, this is freedom. Let's just give each other permission right now. Like, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to look at you. I'm not going to think badly of you if you express yourself the way you need to before the Lord. Like, we all just have permission to be ourselves right now. To do what we need to do before God. So as the band begin to play, just dial down, listen to the Holy Spirit.